Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's my Lakers hat right there. Everybody doing good today? Let's thank Nico and Mandy. Can we do that today here, Shepard? Last uh, Sunday, uh, one week ago today, was heart-wrenching uh, to learn of a helicopter crash uh, in Calabasas over here on Las Virginies off the 101 where nine people lost their lives, three of which were 13-year-old girls. I had, uh, if you were here last Sunday, if you were not here, you missed this, but if you were here last Sunday, I actually mentioned Kobe's name in my sermon. And what I was talking about last week was that God is greater than, than everybody and everything. And then I said these words. I said, God is greater than any governor. He's greater than any president. He's greater than any Hollywood star. He's greater than any athlete. And I said, he's greater than LeBron. And I said, he's greater than Kobe. And uh, if you were in this service, I said those words about 9.40, 9.45. And uh, the helicopter took off from John Wayne Airport, and they went up the five, and then they sent them around Van Nuys Airport, around Burbank, so they were on the 118, and they actually flew right over Granada Hills. And then the helicopter, in a sense, was over this church, headed down towards that corner of the valley within just a few minutes. That helicopter crashed, and nine people lost their lives. And this week, if you're a normal person, uh, both young and old alike, we have wrestled with this tragedy. It's difficult to understand the hows and the whys. But millions of people in our city and around the world are grieving over these five families, imagining the heartache of losing their loved ones so suddenly, so unexpectedly, and so painfully. And I want to ask uh, to put the photos of these nine people up on our screen today, and I, I want to say a word of prayer for, for their families, if that's okay with you. The Bible says to us that we as Christians are supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice, and we're supposed to mourn with those who mourn. And that's called empathy. That's called compassion. That should be in our DNA as believers, to be happy when those people are happy and to, re, and to mourn when people are hurting. And so what I want us to do, and I'm going to preach today, amen, I'm, I'm going to preach, uh, but I want uh, to take just a few moments of silence, and, uh, and then I will say a word of prayer, and then I'll get started on my sermon today, okay? So let's bow our heads for just a word of prayer, just a, a moment of silence. Father, today we know that tragedy happens all around the world every single day on every continent under the sun. But this is a tragedy that took place in our neighborhood, on our back porch. Lord, we know that these five families that were on board that helicopter, that today their hearts, these last seven days, 
have to be devastated and, and broken beyond imagination. And Lord, I just want today, as our church meets to gather as we do every week, to acknowledge that you are the God of all comfort, as the Bible says, that you comfort us in all of our struggles and trials so that we may comfort others with the comfort that we have received from you. I know that all wisdom comes from above, and I believe that all comfort comes from above. But you give us that comfort so that as we go through trial, as we go through tragedy, and somehow we get through, and many people in this room have been through some very difficult times. But at a moment like this, God, our thoughts and our prayers and our words would be an encouragement to these five families. Father, I pray today that we would realize that all of us are just one heartbeat away and that we never know when it's our time to pass from this life to the next. We've been talking about that here at this church. But I pray, Father, that you would bless us here today. I pray that you would bring healing to our city. It's really strange in how some tragedy like this, I do feel like it has brought us closer together as a city. But Lord, I pray that as we move forward, God, that you would help us to serve you, to honor you in both word and deed. Bless our message today and bless our sermon today. Guard every heart. Bring comfort again to those families and healing to those families, we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. It's okay to clap if you want to clap. You don't have to clap. I want you to grab your bulletins and grab your sermon outline inside that bulletin, and I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 20. We're going to go to a number of different passages today, and I really want you to have your Bibles. I want you to see some things, and I want you to circle some words and take some notes. This weekend is certainly a weekend of reflection, asking ourselves what is most important in life. What is the most important thing in life? You have to say first and foremost would be God and Jesus and our relationship, our faith with the creator God of this universe, our relationship with Jesus. That has to be the most important thing in life. The second most important thing in life, I think, is your family, your loved ones, your friendships. And the third most important thing I think for us this week is just realizing that life is but a vapor, that we live in a land of sudden death. Life is fragile. No guarantees of tomorrow. You don't, you're not even guaranteed that you'll get home from church today. The importance of living life with a purpose, serving God fully, completely, every moment of every day, not living for self, but living in the will of God, for the purposes of God. The Bible compares our Christian life, our Christian uh, walk as a race to be won. In your bulletin up at the top, I've got a couple of verses. One is 1 Corinthians 9, 24, and Paul writes to the church in Corinth, do you not know, in other words, you should know this, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? How many of you know that? Okay, you should know that. But only one gets the prize. 
And then he tells us, you as a Christian need to run in such a way as to get the prize. The question is, are you running to win today? Are you fully committed? Are you in it to win it? I want you to ask your neighbor, just say to your neighbor, are you in it to win it? Just ask him that question. On a scale of one to 10, one being low, 10 being the highest, and you're in a race, your, your Christian walk, your Christian life, your Christian run, would, how, would you, how hard are you running right now? Uh, would you rate yourself like a 10 or a nine or an eight, or would you rank yourself a four or a five, or would you rank yourself just a one or a two? You're here, but you're not really engaged. How would you rate yourself? More importantly, how would God rank you here today? In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, I hope you have that chapter open, Paul was on a missionary journey. And on this particular journey, he was traveling close to a city called Ephesus. Now, he had been in Ephesus earlier. In fact, he had spent a three-year period of time working and serving in the church in that city, the, the city of Ephesus. And he had developed a rather close relationship with the leadership of that church, the eldership of that church. And on this particular missionary journey, as he travels close to that city, he in his mind and in his heart, he realizes he's probably never coming back here again. And so he, he sends word that he wants to meet with the elders, the leadership of that church, knowing that this is probably the last time they're ever going to see each other, to, to talk to each other, to hug each other, to love each other. In a sense, when you read Acts chapter 20, this is what's called his farewell address to the elders at the church at Ephesus. If you look at the very last verse, go clear to the very end of that chapter, verse 38, the very last chapter it says what grieved them the most, these are the leaders of that church, was Paul's statement that they would never see his face again. They were all hurting. They were all grieving because they knew that they would never see him again. Now, you do know there are some people when they're gone, you don't miss them. How many of you know that? I heard about a pastor who was leaving his church, and he made an announcement. He told the church that he was leaving, and one woman started crying. She was just weeping, and he tried to console her, and he said, ma'am, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You'll get even a better pastor next time, and she cried even more. She said, oh, don't say that. That's what they told us last time. You guys were more awake than the crowd last night at 6 o'clock. <laughs> In Paul's case, with these Ephesian uh, elders, they were truly going to miss each other because they truly loved each other. And in the, midst, in the midst of this discourse, this goodbye, he says these words, Acts 20, look at verse 22. He says to them, now, I just want you guys to know, I am compelled by the Holy Spirit that I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, he, he writes, I consider my life worth 
nothing to me. My only aim, my only goal, he's stating to them what his purpose in life is. My only goal is to finish the race and to complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me. And what is that task? He tells you the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I want you to go back up to that phrase where he says, my only goal is to finish the race. I want you to circle, if you have your Bible, circle the word finish. Circle that word. That word in the Greek is teleao, which is a word that means to complete or to fulfill. For those of you that are scholarly, it is the exact same word that Jesus used on the cross in John 19.30 when Jesus said the words, it is finished. Jesus on the cross when he said it is finished is stating that his role, his task of bringing salvation to the world is now complete. His purpose has been fulfilled, that he had lived his life fulfilling God's assignment for him. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is saying, I too want to fulfill my purpose in life. I want to finish God's assignment for my life here on this earth. Now I want you to go back up to verse 24 and look, look at verse 24 one more time. What verse is this? What verse? One more time, what number? Who, who, who wore that number? I believe that the Apostle Paul was the first black mamba. <laughs> say, why do you say that? Because Paul was tenacious. Paul was laser focused. Paul outworked everyone else in finishing God's assignment. And every one of us in this room should live with such passion. Every one of us should live with such purpose, but not in chasing temporary things, but in reaching this world for the gospel, things that are eternal. I want to live, you know, we're looking at the next year, the next 10 years, the next decade, or, or however much time God gives us here on this earth. I want to spend the rest of my days preaching, teaching, and reaching every person in this city so that at the end of my time here on this earth that we can look back and we can say at the end of our life, I have finished this race. You see here, he's saying this is my goal. This is what I'm aiming towards. The question is, at the end of your life, looking back, can you say I have finished the race? I have completed the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now, I don't have the necessary time to adequately explain that Paul did without question he spent the rest of his life completing his task. If you look at verse 21, he said, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Look down at verse 26 and verse 27. You talk about tenacious. He said, therefore I am innocent 
of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Now look at that again. He said, my hands are clean. I don't have the blood of anyone on my hands. Why could he say that? Because he had explained the gospel to everyone that he came in contact with. Can you say that about your family? That your hands are clean because you've told everyone in your family about Jesus. If something happens to them and they die and they go to hell, that uh, their blood is not on your hands because you've at least explained it to them. Can you say that about everyone on your block? Can you say that about your fellow employees that you've warned every one of them about Jesus Christ and encouraged them to surrender their life? Paul could say, "My hand, I am innocent of the blood of all men. How can he say that? Because he's told everybody. He was relentless. He was fearless. He was persistent. He went on four missionary journeys. You say, that doesn't sound too tough. Oh, it was very difficult. You have to remember they had no modern transportation back in those days. They had no cars, no cell phones. Some of you couldn't go one day without your cell phone. You couldn't get anywhere, certainly. You wouldn't know how to get there. They didn't have, think about this, they didn't have light bulbs. There was no electricity back in those days. No gas-powered engines, no Teslas, no Ubers, no planes or trains. There was no internet. There was no Airbnb. There was no they, had, they didn't have motorcycles. They didn't have bicycles. They didn't even have roller skates back in those days. And yet he went on four missionary journeys traveling the known world. He planted churches in almost every city he visited. He spoke in the synagogue each and every weekend. The Bible says that every day he went from house to house. He knocked on door to door. And the Bible also, we also know that he wrote over half of the New Testament. He wrote half of this book. So at the end of his life, 1 Corinthians or book of Acts, you know, he's kind of looking towards the end. But when he finally gets at the end of his life, if you know anything about Paul, at the very end of his life, he's in a prison, a dark, rat-infested, cold dungeon called the Mamertine Prison in Rome. And remember, they didn't have sewer systems like we had back in those days, like they have in, this, in our day. And they had, you all remember the Colosseum in Rome? Have you ever seen a picture of the Colosseum in Rome? The Colosseum in L.A. was actually built to look like the Colosseum in Rome. This was 2,000 years ago. And the sewer system, they just kind of, everything just kind of went in a trough and went out of the city. And it went right through this prison. So imagine the stench that was inside that jail cell. And at the very, very end of his life, he writes inside that prison, the very last letter that he wrote was 2 Timothy, which is also in your notes. If you look at the the top, there's two verses. 1 Corinthians, or Acts, First Corinthians, when he's looking towards his, his life, but 2 Timothy is at the very end. He's in a prison, and Nero put him in there, and Nero's going to take him out and cut his head off. He doesn't have long to live. And he writes these words. See, context is everything to Scripture. And at the end of his life, looking back, he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, I am already being poured out like a drink offering 
The time has come for my departure. Verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Amen? Three things quickly. I have fought the good fight. I want you to write this down. The Christian life is a battle. It's a battle. Do not think that you can become a Christian and everything's going to be rosy-dozy. It's tough. There are always good things and there's always bad things to fight over. The battle between good and evil, between right and wrong, is always a battle worth fighting. You fight that battle. Fighting for the life of an unborn child, that's worth fighting for. You fight for that child. They said amen a lot louder last night to that. In fact, they clapped at that last night. Fighting for racial equality and racial justice is a good fight. That's a good fight. Fighting for your marriage, to save your marriage, that's a good fight. Fighting to protect your children from the culture that we live in that tries to sweep your child out to sea, that's a battle worth fighting. The most... The most important battle, of course, is the battle that is waged for the soul of man. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 26, what good will it be for man if he gained a whole world yet forfeit his own soul? Jesus was saying the soul of one man is worth more than the whole world put together. Now, some issues are worth fighting for, some issues are not worth fighting over. Fighting over a parking spot <laughs> is petty. <laughs> Fighting over your neighbor's barking dog is silly. Arguing with your child because they got a B instead of an A is not worth arguing about. The airlines cancel your flight and you get all upset, it's a waste of your time because they, they don't ever tell you anything that's true anyway. The line, the line is too long and the line is too slow at the coffee shop. It's okay, there's 10,000 other coffee shops right around the corner. You're wasting your time and your energy when you could be fighting for something really important like leading your spouse or leading your friend or leading your neighbor to Jesus. That's where your energy should go. Paul wrote back in Acts chapter 20, verse 31, he said, remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. That means he wept every day, both night and day for three years, just trying to pray and to lead and to encourage them to give their life to Christ. When was the last day that you cried over the soul of someone who was lost? Paul spent three years. You have no, listen, people, we have no idea how driven he was, how engaged he was. It mattered. He was fighting daily for something that truly mattered. Can you look back over your life when it ends and state with confidence, I have fought the good fight? Can you say those words? Number two, write this down. He said, I have finished the race. The Christian life is a marathon. It's a marathon. We, at the start of this sermon, at the very top of your outline, and by the way, it's verse 24 again. 
1 Corinthians 9, he said the Christian life is a race to be won and run in, run in such a way as to get the prize. It's very important that you as a Christian realize and, and actually see yourself as a Christian in a race. Now get this, the Christian life is not a 100-yard dash. It's a 26-mile marathon. Our culture likes easy. We want fast food. We, we want fast coffee. We want trophies just for participating. <laughs> we have politicians who promise us free everything because we don't have to work for it. The Christian life is difficult. It's a battle. It's a race. And write this down. The race begins the moment you get saved. The day you gave your life to Jesus, the race started for you. The race will not end for you until one of two things. One, you die, or two, the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Now, at the end of the race, when it's over, turn to your neighbor and say, when it's over. When it's over, and you look back over your Christian life, you can't change anything you did. You can't undo anything you did. You can't say, man, I wish I'd have tried harder to reach my family. Oh, I, I wish I'd spent more time helping the church. I, I, I wish I'd spent more time praying. I wish I'd spent more time reading the Bible. I, I wish I'd spent more time making a difference in the city in which I live. When, at the, when it's over, it's over. You can't undo anything. You can't say, well, I, I, wish, I wish I hadn't had that great big bowl of ice cream. Or whatever it is that slows you down in your, Christian, in your Christian life. The time to focus is now because you're not at the end yet. Can you say amen? The time to run is now. The time to sprint is now. I've often said that I will rest when I get to heaven. There's too much at stake now to rest. I have to give my all. And the most important truth is that when you're in this race, the most important thing is that when you're in this race, you need to focus when you're running on the finish line. Keep your eyes on the finish line. Stop looking around at everything else. Paul wrote these words to the church in, in Philippi in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He said, not that I have already obtained all this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, verse 13, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Some of you are bound by your past. Some of you are trying to, you want to get there, but you spend all your time looking backwards. You're just bound by your past. And I'm old and I'm slow, but if you and I are going to run a race, I'm going to beat you every time if you're looking backwards. In this life, this Christian life, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on heaven and strain, press for that for which you're focused on. 
The Hebrew writer said these words in Hebrews 12, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with, because it's a long race, let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And you just see Jesus, and you see all that he did for you on the cross, and how he endured all that, and all the persecution, and the beatings, and all the things that he went through, the nails through his hand, the nails through his feet. You see how he endured all that. You just keep looking at that. Therefore, whatever difficult thing you're going through, Jesus did it, I can do it. And you just stay focused on Jesus. Number three, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. The Christian life is a mission. It's a mission. Many of you know the television show or the movie series called Mission Impossible. Some of you think that's the name of your race. Some of you are out here thinking, well, there's no way I can live like a Christian. I've tried. I just can't do it. It's just too hard. It's not Mission Impossible. It's Mission Possible. Paul Paul looked back over his life. He said, I've kept it. I've kept the faith. And that word, the faith, means that he made a pledge, a full pledge of allegiance. Write that word down. He made an allegiance to something. In other words, Paul stayed devoted to Christ all the days of his life, even when he was in prison. He was witnessing to the prison guards. He would witness to visitors who would come see him. He would witness to fellow prisoners. And when he was in prison, he was writing some of these books. He kept the faith, amen? At the end of your life, and I don't know how you're going to die. But we're all going to die. And when that day comes, at that moment, you can't undo anything. But you want to stand before God, look back over your life, and you want to be able to say, I have kept the faith. I lived my life on that earth. However few days God gives you or however many days he gives you, but you lived your life on that earth serving and honoring God. You want to be able to say, nothing deterred me, nothing, no trial, not, not tribulation, not distraction, not fears, not discouragement, not lack of finances, not sin or transgression, not doubt, not disbelief, not fears or persecution, not threats, not heartache, not depression, nothing kept me from honoring God all the days of my life on this earth. That's what you want to be able to say. 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, he said these words, I have worked much harder. I have been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day at the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews. I have been in danger from Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city. I've been in danger out in the country. I've been in danger out at sea. I've been in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, have often gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. Here's a man who is committed to fighting the good fight, finishing the race, keeping the faith, and finishing God's assignment for his life. I'm not going to lie to you, and I'm not going to mask my feelings when I tell you how silly we look. When we sign up, I'm going to be a Christian. I want to get baptized. I want to volunteer over there at the church. I want to tithe, I want to give, I want to volunteer, I want to get plugged in at the church. How quickly we quit when one little thing, one little thing, somebody offended me or the preacher said something we didn't like or the first little trial, we just quit and we give up. Well, my feelings are hurt. I think I'm going to have to go find another church. Go. <laughs> I guarantee you this. You're going to go to that church and you're going to get your feelings hurt there and you'll be right back here. <laughs> what happened to good old-fashioned commitment and allegiance and dedication to the thanks of God where nothing can detour you from following Jesus? So I'm, I'm going to close. I, I want to. I, I have a video I want to show you. And um, my dad, most of you know this, but uh, he, he's in hospice care right now. He's 87. And uh, I, I, I don't, I've never told you this, but I, I told you last week that I was in the ninth grade. I was 15 when I committed to be a, a minister, and I'm 61 today. But my dad was 17. He was a junior in high school. He went to church camp. And uh, a preacher preached, and he stepped forward in church, in camp. He was the only one that stepped forward as a 17-year-old kid. And uh, he was a big football player at his high school in uh, number 39. And he, uh, he committed to being a minister. And, and ladies and gentlemen, that's just one reason why you need to send your kids to church camp. Just, just one reason. But he was, seven, he was 17 years old, and now he's 87. Now, if you, if, for those of you that are not good at math, <laughs> 70 years he's been serving God. And... <laughs> 
Still to this day, if we can talk, it's hard to understand him, but when I, even when I hear him talk, he, he always wants to preach. And uh, he, he, he's worked for my brother up in a church in Fresno, California uh, for a year. He retired like when he was like 60 or 63 or some, I don't know how old he was, but they were trying to get him, you know, there's time to move on. He, he kept coming in every single day. And even today he has a desk there. And uh, just, just, you know, recently he tells my brother, David, is there any way you'll let me preach? He, and, and Dave would say, Dad, you can't even stand. How, how are you going to preach? And uh, so back in, in, in uh, last year, in, in around Thanksgiving time, they were taking up a Thanksgiving offering. And they said, and they said Dad, why don't you, we'll get you to the church. And, uh, and they took him from the nursing care facility, and they took him to the church, and they put him in this chair, and they said, we'll just record you, and then we'll show that at all the services. And he, um, I, a friend of mine actually took him, and he, uh, I said, how'd it go? And they said, well, we filmed for an hour. And the guy said, this is what he said to me. He said, it was terrible. He said, it was just the most disjointed thing. He goes, but you know, they edited it. That took an hour and they edited it down to four minutes. And they, he says, it was really good. <laughs> and so I, I want to show you this video. And the reason I want to show it to you is just to show you that here's a guy at age 87 who's in hospice care and he only has one goal. He still wants to preach. He wants to, he's going he's gonna to go down. He's going he's to go down fighting. He's going to go down doing what God's called him to do. And it's an example to everyone in this. This, this is how we want to go out right here. Let's watch this video. Have you heard the good news? Good news. Oh, I've got good news. My Savior hath done all things well. He's conquered over death and hell. That's the news. That's the news. Now, whenever anyone may ask of you, what's the news? What's the news? You just tell them that you are marching in Christ's band. You are under the Lord's command. Ah, uh, that's the news. That's the news. Well, I'm so happy to be here today. My, 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 my. What a, you know, people tell me all the time, it's good to see you. And of course, I respond, well, it's very good to be seen. I just uh, want you to know that this is a humbling experience for me. I love preaching, but I'm hardly able to preach. And uh, I just uh, wanted to thank all of you for being here. I wanted to tell you how much it means to me. I want to thank some people. First of all, I want to thank my son, David. He's been a minister here for 25 years and has built this thing into an exciting church. I'm fortunate because I have the most wonderful family in the whole world. My dad uh, was never in the Bible college, but he became a great preacher. My mother is just a wonderful, the most wonderful Christian. Then, of course, I have my kids. I love every one of them, and uh, they have all please me. Two of them are girls, and they have both married preachers. And the other three are boys, and they're all preaching today. My wife is probably the most wonderful person in the world if the world would take a vote. She doesn't miss prayer meeting or church. We have three services here every weekend, and she attends every one of them. 
I wouldn't, but she attends every, every three services, and then she has three Bible studies during the week, and she doesn't miss, though I would be remiss if I did not mention the wonderful members of this congregation. This is one of the most loving congregations in the world. You know, you can't imagine, unless you were inside of this program, how much work and how great love the people extend to one another. Now, don't you think I have something to be thankful for? And I'm sure if you look, you're going to find in your life things that you never sat down and honestly counted. You know, we should all be grateful this great land that we live in. Poet one time searched all over the world for the perfect place to live. But after many years of searching, he came back home and he said, so it's home again, home again, America for me. Well, I'm awfully uh, glad that I'm alive and God has blessed me. I uh, don't mean to seek for sympathy, but the last five years, I've had a pretty tough go of it. If you don't mind, I'll just give you a little list. I'll just take a minute, but I've had two knees replaced on the very same morning. How about that, folks? And then I had part of my colon removed. I've had four different her hernias. I've had uh, Parkinson's now for 10 years. You can probably uh, identify that right now from just watching. I've had three cancers. We're uh, going on the third. No, I'm ready. I, I got more illnesses. You're good. Take a, take a moment. You're good. Uh, you know, I uh, have thought a lot about the inevitable crisis of the human body. And, uh, you know, I'm not near as bothered about it as you might think because I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to see him, see the one that I've always dreamed about. I hope that you'll begin to realize during this Thanksgiving season that no matter what happens, you are still blessed. You're blessed by the Holy Spirit of God. God bless you. That's the goal, right there. That's the goal. We're gonna sing this invitation and just give folks here a chance to come and walk down these aisles and say, I wanna, I wanna commit, I wanna be involved. Some of you have been sitting on the sidelines for way too long. Some of you on that scale of one to 10, you're about a three, a four, or five. We should all be nines and tens. We should all be nines and tens, amen? If you've never been baptized, some of you are not even in the race yet. You're, you're not even involved. You're not, you've not even become a Christian yet. You could do that today, amen? And uh, just live the rest of your life knowing at any moment, at any day, 
could be your last, but you want to be able to say, I've run the race. I've kept the faith. Amen.